right. Praises be to our loving God that we are gathered again to study his words. So welcome to another episode of the BQA, the Bible Questions and Answers. Now, the first question we're going to ask is, is it appropriate to monetize the name of our king? I think you already know the answer to that question. The basis for this question actually comes from a big misunderstanding. You see, there was a viewer who sent in the following email to us and informed me, hello, Poka John, I was so disappointed to see that you are now selling t-shirts online bearing the name of our Lord Yahushua. How is this different from, not going to mention what that is, uh, we're always decrying the rise of the consumer culture in the INC, but now the assembly also have pastors acting like CEOs marketing Yahushua as a product. And so the question is, should we monetize the name of our King Yahusha? I say no. And the reason why we say it's a misunderstanding is, is because there are, I guess, still people who think that we are associated with Ophirfa. Well, I guess we haven't formally made the announcement, but the assembly of Yahusha no longer stand with Ophirfa. We are separated from Ophirfa and stand on our own as a registered religious entity, we are recognized officially as the Assembly of Yahusha. So Assembly of Yahusha has no affiliations with Ophirfa, and Ophirfa is the one that has affiliations with the Church of Yahusha. So the Church of Yahusha and the Assembly of Yahusha are two different organizations. So what you see uh, posted there are t-shirts being sold not by the assembly, okay? Not the assembly of Yahusha. This is by the Church of Yahusha under the name Ophirfa. So if you go to the Ophirfa website, I think it's ophirfa.com, uh, uh, you will find information about this, but it's not in the assembly of Yahusha website. I hope that's clear to everyone. If you go there, I think they're selling the t-shirts for $30. So if you want to go ahead and purchase the t-shirts, that's up to you. We're not saying, you know, we're not condemning them for doing that. But in our opinion, I believe, according to the scripture, it's not appropriate to sell T-shirts, especially if you are practicing religion and especially if you are using the name of our King Yahusha. Why not? Well, first of all, in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, 2 and the verse is 17, we are not like so many others who handle God's message as if it were cheap merchandise. But because God has sent us, we speak with sincerity in his presence as servants of Christ. Why uh, does the assembly of Yahushua not believe in monetizing the name of our king? First of all, the name of our king is the only name given for our salvation. Is the name holy? What is your answer? Yes. Is the name sacred? Yes. If it's sacred, if it is holy, then it should not be rendered as though it was cheap merchandise. This is why in the assembly of Yahushua, the message of God we delivered to you for free. What we know, we will give to you for free. The gospel was given to us free of charge. We will distribute and give you the gospel free of charge as well. This is why we do not ask you for money when you want to know about the teachings of Yahuwah Abba. This, the website that we have, the YouTube channel, the Facebook, it's available for all of you uh, to use because the word of God, the message of God should not be treated as though 
is what it was cheap merchandise. Another reason why in the assembly of Yahushua, uh, we do not engage in business practices is because we don't believe uh, spiritual pursuits should be combined with business ventures because there's going to be that conflict always. And our emphasis as the assembly of Yahushua is not to make money Rather, it is to preach the message with sincerity in the presence of our King Yahusha. This is why the assembly of Yahusha, we're not going to go solicit for donations from big companies. We're not going to be selling products like fish or food items. We're not going to do that because that's not the work of the assembly of Yahusha. The work of the assembly of Yahushua is to proclaim the word of God. And so the t-shirt did not come from us. And there's just no way we're going to sell a t-shirt with the name of Yahuwah and the name of Yahushua. Why not? The book of Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of Yahuwah your God. For Yahuwah will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And so to put the name of our king to put the name of our father on a t-shirt and you sell it to make profit that is a misuse of the name of Yahuwah and the name of Yahusha so we do not misuse it we do not desecrate it we honor it you do not honor the name by selling the name you don't make money off of the sacred name of Yahusha off of the sacred name of Yahuwah Abba it is sacred if it's sacred it has to be kept set apart. It cannot be used as a ma in, in the same manner as cheap merchandise. And so I don't know why they're selling uh, the T-shirts uh, with the name of our king on it. Um, you have to ask them for that. But as far as the assembly of Yahushua is concerned, we will not engage in those practices. Okay. Now let's go to a series of questions that were sent in by another viewer. Uh, hello, Boka John. I have another set of questions. If the current people in Israel are no longer the people of the olden times, descendants of Yahuwah's nation, replaced with people from different nations, how come his promises are still being fulfilled, such as winning wars one after the other and so forth? And question number two, second Ezra 13, 41 and 45, it describes Ophir as where never mankind dwelt when Sheba was from Ophir. And number three, what could be the reason why Yahuwah allowed some of the doctrines of our previous religion misinterpreted the verses such as the doctrine on block voting. Thank you, Paul. I hope this can be again, or this can be included in one of our Bible question and answer. So let's go to question number one. If the current people in Israel, okay, the people who live uh, in that area called the Middle East, right? If the people, the current people in Israel are no longer the people of the olden times, descendants of Yahuwah's nation, replaced with people from different nations, how come his promises are still being fulfilled, such as winning wars, one after the other, and so forth? That's a valid question. That's a good point. Let's go ahead and answer uh, point by point the questions therein. First of all, we don't believe that the people who reside in the land of Israel today, right, so-called national Israel, are the people of Yahuwah Abba. Why do we believe this? First of all, they reject Yahusha as King and Mashiach. Second of all, in Revelation 11, the verses 8, during the time of the preaching of the two witnesses, 
which will usher in the kingdom of Yahuwah Abba through Yahusha HaMashiach. The Bible tells this about Jerusalem in Israel. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city. What is that great city again? Jerusalem. It's in Israel, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So we know the great city is Jerusalem because that's where Yahushua was crucified. However, during the days of the two witnesses, they are figurative, figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Why? Because they would be in the state of apostasy. Because they reject our king Yahushua. They opted instead for a different Mashiach, which we call the Antichrist or the Anti-Mashiach. They are described in the passages here as Sodom and Egypt. And so we know that the people currently in the land of Israel, they are not belonging to our king Yahushua. And also, where will the people come from? Where will they come from? Those who will be restored in the land of Israel. Isaiah 11, 10 to 12. In that day, the root of Jesse, who is that? Yahushua, will stand as a banner for the people. So nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left on his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. When we look at the composition of Israel today, most of them really came from one place. And that's a place in Europe. Although there were some places where they came from Africa, but for the most part, most of them came from just Europe. And so the restoration of the people itself is not complete. Perhaps there are those who live in Israel today who are counted among the remnant that the Bible speaks about here. It could be, we don't know. What we know is this, Yahuwah God is working right now. Yahuwah God is gathering his people together. And one day, those who are exiles from Israel and from Judah, they will be brought back to their land. So the question is, how come his promises are still being fulfilled, such as winning wars one after the other and so forth? Why? Well, what is the purpose of Yahuwah God in bringing restoration to both the house of Israel and the house of Judah? Ezekiel 36, 22 to 24, therefore give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign uh, Yahuwah. I am bringing you back, not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness... Through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Yahuwah, then the nations will know that I am Yahuwah. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. So why are we seeing so many amazing prophecies being fulfilled in Israel? Because in the plan and purpose of Yahuwah Abba, this restoration of his people will culminate in their own land which is this land 
the land where Israel is at, the land of Israel, where Jerusalem is situated. And so before Yahuwah is able to, before Yahuwah is going to restore his people, the people themselves, he's preparing the land. Not just the land, but the stage. Because there's going to be a series of events that will unfold that leads not just to the coming Mashiach, but before the Mashiach returns, who's going to come first? Who's going to come first before the Mashiach actually returns? Huh? Let's find out. The book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Yahushua Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God before Mashiach returns and we be gathered to him in the rapture event, what, will, what needs to happen first? The coming of the lawless one, the son of perdition, the coming of the anti-Mashiach, who will sit in the temple of God, claiming to be God. So there's going to be a desecration of the temple. This has to come first. And when will this actually take place? In Daniel 9.7, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set, uh, set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. What we read there in Daniel 9.27, based on our previous studies, concerns the last seven weeks, right? The last seven years of our history here on earth. This is called the tribulation. And according to the book of Daniel, something is going to happen with those who call themselves Israel. What will happen? There's going to be a covenant that will be set up between this ruler, the Antichrist, and those who will have a temple. This is why for this event to be fulfilled, there has to be a temple right? But how can you build a temple if there's no national Israel? All of this is being staged so that the unfolding of the events that leads to the coming of the Mashiach, the true Mashiach, will be fulfilled. This is why if you want to know how close we are to the day of our king's return, look at Israel, because that's the stage, that's where everything is going to happen. And so somebody asked me to look into news events that is headlined in Israel because we have to be watchful about the events taking place in Israel today because we will see clues left and right because so many of the prophecies are going to unfold in the land in the area of Israel, because that's the stage. It doesn't mean the people of Israel are the people of Yahuwah. It just means where they are at and what they're going to do to serve the purpose of prophecy and the fulfillment of the plan is in Israel, 
And this is why look at the events in Israel. Do you know what else? For example, according to the prophecy, what event in Israel is going to happen that will bring in the return of our King Yahusha to set up the millennial kingdom? Let's read the book of Ezekiel 47, 8 to 9. And he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. And this is just one of many other signs spoken of in Ezekiel and other prophecies or other prophets, I should say, that we need to look for. For example, here in Ezekiel 47, by the way, Ezekiel chapter 40 all the way to chapter 48 speaks of the millennial kingdom. And according to the book of Ezekiel, there's going to be an amazing fulfillment of prophecy before the coming of the kingdom. What is that? Something's going to happen to the Dead Sea. How many here has been to the Dead Sea before? What's, why is it called the Dead Sea? Because nothing alive can grow in the Dead Sea. So much salt, right? That's why if you go to the Dead Sea, don't open your eyes. It's too powerful. But the Bible, the prophecy says, what's going to happen to the salty waters of the Dead Sea? It's going to become pure and fresh. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. When you speak to scientists, when you speak to biologists, people who study the Dead Sea, they will tell you this prophecy is impossible. The Dead Sea has too much salt. It cannot be turned into pure water. But you know what they found out beginning in 2016? Do you know what's beginning to unfold? Fulfillment of the Dead Sea prophecy has begun because what they found was the Dead Sea is now becoming more and more fresh. And fish have been actually found in the Dead Sea. You can look it up. You can look it up online. Look at Dead Sea, uh, freshwater fish. And you will see videos of this event taking place in Israel today, which tells us the unfolding of prophecy is telling us we are approaching the finality of the history of man here on, on earth. And we are about to enter a new age. So the purpose of prophecy unfolding in Israel doesn't prove the people of Israel today, right, are the people of Jehovah God. There's still restoration of people to take place. More people from different parts of the world will be brought there and many more events will take place before finally we can say the people who are in Israel are the people of Yahuwah. That will take place in the millennial kingdom when our King Yahusha returns here on earth, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. In 2nd Esdras 13:41-45, it describes Ophir as where never mankind dwelt when Sheba was from Ophir. I believe the question was based on one of our Bible studies when we talked about the lost tribes of Israel and the lost tribes of Israel after the Assyrian captivity, they traveled long distance and they eventually found their way to Ophir. Ophir is the place where there is gold, right? And it's where Sheba came from. So Sheba from Ophir went to Solomon 
and they had a conversation about the name of Yahuwah Abba. And so there's a relationship between the Ophirians and the people of Israel during the days of Solomon. So they knew each other. And so in one of our Bible studies, we cited the book of Esdras because we wanted to know how did the 10 tribes go from Assyria all the way to the Philippines, right? And we told you in the Bible, there's no account of it. But in, in Esdras, namely 2 Esdras 13, we find an account of this migration, of this journey taken by the 10 tribes, which led them to Ophir. And it just so happens in the book of 2 Esdras, it mentions that place where they traveled to as where never mankind dwelt. So the question is, if it's true, this description of Ophir or, or the land of creation is where never mankind dwelt, then why do we say that Sheba came from that place if there was no man who dwelt in that place? Make sense? So that's the question. So first of all, uh, before we go ahead and look into Second Esdras, uh, we are not making the claim that Second Esdras is canonical. Now, when we say something is canonical, they belong to what we call the scriptures. Remember, the scriptures refer to the collection of writings that contain the word of Yahuwah Abba. It's from his inspiration, right? And so is Second Esdras, is that part of the Bible, part of the scriptures? It could be. It could be. Okay, we still need to look further into it to make sure um, it is indeed canonical. So we're still doing the research on it, but for the most part, we can probably say 90% certainty that Ezra should be included in scriptures. We're not making that uh, official today, but what we are saying to you is, at the very least, it can be considered as a historical document. But this historical document was also quoted by our King Yahusha. As a matter of fact, if you read Matthew 23, 37 to 38, our King Yahushua actually quotes 2 Ezra 1, 30 to 33. So we know Yahushua quoted 2 Ezra, which traditionally has been credited to Ezra. Ezra was the writer of 2 Ezra. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Ezra 13, 39 to 40 to find how the 10 tribes were able to go to Ophir. So, and whereas thou savest that he gathered another peaceable multitude unto him, those are the 10 tribes. And so there were a great multitude of people which were carried away prisoners out of their own land in the time of Hosea the king, whom Shalmanazar, the king of Assyria, led away captive. This is so far in consonance with what is written in the book of Kings, in the Bible, okay? And he carried them over the waters, and so came they into another land. So after Assyria, according to Second Ezra, the ten tribes were taken over the waters, right, into another land. And so according to this historical book, the ten tribes did not remain in Assyria, or at least a great multitude of them left Assyria. Okay, it doesn't say if it's all of them, it says a great multitude. So perhaps, and, if, and we believe there were some who remained, okay? And this is where they're situated in what is we call Kurdistan today. 
but there were a great there was a great multitude that left the 10 tribes left and went to another land over the waters how long was this journey and what route did they take second esdras 13 39 to 40 and whereas thou sawest that he gathered another peaceable 31, uh, 13, 41, 45, but they took this counsel among themselves that they would leave the multitude of the heathen and go forth into a further country where never mankind dwelt, that they might there keep their statutes, which they never kept in their own land, and they entered into Euphrates by the narrow places of the river for the Most High, then showed signs for them. He held still the flood till they were passed over. For through that country, there was a great way to go, namely a year and a half. And the same region is called Ar-Sareth. And so, according to the book of Second Ezra, we can look at some clues concerning the travel patterns of the 10 tribes after they left Assyria. First of all, it's over the waters. They follow the Euphrates to the narrow places of the river. The whole journey takes about a year and a half, which corresponds to the journey of Queen of Sheba to Solomon, right? And so we know it's the same, it could be the same place, but it mentions here, uh, they entered into Euphrates from Assyria into the narrow places of the river. And so we discussed this in our previous Bible studies. We traced the route uh, through the Persian Gulf and all the way to the Philippines, okay? And it takes about a year and a half journey. And when we look at the travel of the 10 tribes in the places where they settle, for example, we found out in that place where it's circled, there's a place there that's the name of a place that stands out because of the Hebrew name. What is that name again? Qatar, right? Remember Qatar? It's a Hebrew word. And so that stood out because that's where they offered their sacrifices while they were waiting for the ships to bring them all the way to the Philippines or to Ophir. And so the question now becomes, well, how about this description where never mankind dwelt? What does that mean? In the Holy Scriptures, whenever no, no mankind dwells is referred to, if you go back to Isaiah, for example, it refers to a wilderness or a desert because nobody dwells in the desert where never mankind dwell. And there are places in the Philippines that is not inhabited by people, okay? And truth of the matter is, there are places throughout the world that has never been inhabited by people. So is there a place in the Philippines that is made up of desert, <laughs> Is there? Maybe I can ask my wife because she lived in the Philippines for quite some time. Do you know the place in the Philippines made of desert? Place where it's uninhabited, right? There's actually a place. There's actually a place in the Philippines that is desert. What is that? It's called the La Paz Sand Dunes. The La Paz Sand Dunes is an 85 square kilometer, 33 square miles, protected sandy coastal desert. And of course, because it's an archipelago, it's surrounded by water, right? So it's a beach located in Lawag, Ilocos Norte, and in the Philippines. And so this is how it looks like, the La Paz Desert, okay? And so the La Paz Desert could have been the landing spot, 
the landing place of the 10 tribes. And it makes sense to call the place La Paz. Why? If you were one of the 10 tribes and you knew you were going to go to Ophir, what do you expect to find once you land? What do you expect to find? Once you land in Ophir, Ophir is known as what? The place where there is lots of gold, right? So if you are one of the 10 tribes, you're, you're an, a person from the 10 tribes, you're going to go to the land of gold. What do you expect to find once you land? Lots of gold. When they land um, to, the, to Ophir back then, and they looked around, there was desert. You know what they called the place? La Paz. La Paz is a Hebrew name. It is from two Hebrew words, la and paz. What does la mean? What does paz mean? La means not, as nothing, without. Paz means gold, pure gold. And so when they landed, they saw no gold. What do they call the place? No gold, <laughs> right? It's a desert. And so the, the, the phrase where man dwelleth not, it's referring to an in, uninhabited place like a desert, a wasteland. And that's exactly where they landed, okay? Now let's go to number three. What could be the reason why Yahuwah allowed some of the doctrines of our previous religion misinterpret the verses such as the doctrine in block voting? You know, when I was preparing to answer this question, I thought it was going to be a simple answer. <laughs> But I was, I asked myself when this came up from the question, some of the doctrines like block voting, right? That was misinterpreted. It turns out there's several, there's a lot of doctrines misinterpreted. And so I said, you know what? We cannot answer this question today. <laughs> it would be too long to be answered right now. So we're going to reserve the answer for question number three for next time. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay, we're going to reserve question number three for next time because we will go over a lot of the doctrines that was misinterpreted. Like, for example, binding and loosing, right? And so many others that were misinterpreted. And why would Yahuwah God allow that to happen? What does he want to teach us? Let us wait for that, the answer to this question for next time. So let's go to our final question for today. Somebody message me. Hello po. Uh, may question po ako. Ayon po sa matandang ministrong pinakinggan ko, hindi na daw po ino-observe ang Sabbath sa Luke 16.16. Dahil sinasabi daw po doon na ang kautusan ni Moises ay hanggang kay Juan Bautista lang. Uh, Bautista lang. Tama uba uh, magiging basihan yun. Okay, so he, he or she sent uh, a video link, a YouTube link. And if you want, I can send you the YouTube link if you want. But I listened to the sermon because, to make sure, right? To make sure that we are not taking whatever this preacher is saying out of context. So we're not going to mention the name of this minister. Let's just call him minister. Okay, we're not going to mention the name. But... I did listen to his uh, sermon and also to the sermon of his partner, which presented the same uh, topic in English. So I listened to the Tagalog and the English to make sure 
I'm getting it correct, what they're trying to say, okay? So they're basically trying to say that we should, there's no longer a need for us to observe Sabbath because of Luke 16, 16. Luke 16, 16 tells us the law of Moses, which includes, of course, the 10 commandments no longer apply. Therefore, there's no need for us um, to observe the Sabbath, okay? Uh, to be fair though, they were not judgmental. They were just saying what they were believing to be true. Okay, so the same token, let's go ahead and look. The, our, the purpose of this is not to attack in a personal way the minister. No, we love this minister. But if there is error, we want to know what that is according to our point of view. Okay, so let's go ahead. I went ahead and transcribed what I feel was relevant to the topic. Uh, this is what it was said in Tagalog, the transcription. Ano po ang sinasabi ng bagong tipan tungkol sa mga kautusang isinulat ni Moises? Pasahin po natin sa Lucas. Ito po ang nakasulat. Bago dumating si Juan na tagapagbautismo o si Juan Bautista, ang kautusan ni Moises at ang isinulat ng mga propeta ang siyang sinusunod ng mga tao. Tigil muna tayo. Kautusan ni Moises. Isinulat ng mga propeta. Bago dumating si Juan Bautista, yun ang sinusunod ng mga tao. Kasama po riyan ang iba't ibang mga pinagbabawal. Ano panahon sa batas ng panahon ni Moises? Tuloy natin. At mula nang dumating si Juan, eto dumating na, ipinangangaral na ang mabuting balita tungkol sa paghahari ng Diyos at marami ang nagpupumilit na maging sakop nito. Kung nung panahong bago dumating si Juan, e eh ang sinusunod ng mga tao noon ay kautosan ni Moises na isinulat ng mga propeta, eh, pero nang dumating na si Juan ay hindi na yung batas ni Moises. Nakasulat po yan. Di pwedeng magicin yan ang sinuman. Nakasulat eh. Anong sabi? Ang sabi, mula nang dumating si Juan, pinangangaral na ang magandang balita tungkol sa paghahari ng Diyos. So that's the Tagalog. Okay? So I did my best to translate it in English. And this is what I came up with. What does the New Testament say about the laws written by Moses? Let us read in Luke. This is what is written. Before John the baptizer came, or John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets before John the Baptist came, that is, what is being followed by the people. Included there are different prohibitions during the time of Moses. Let us continue. Since the time of John, which has already come, what is being preached is the good news of the kingdom of God. And many are forcing their way into it. If during the time before John, what the people were following then were the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. But when John came, it is no longer the law of Moses. That is written. No one can use magic to make it go away. It is written. What does it say? It says from the time of John, the good news about the kingdom of God is being preached. And so that's the English translation. So according to this minister, the law of Moses, which includes the Ten Commandments, is no longer applicable during the days after John the Baptist. When did John the Baptist appear in the scene? In the first century, he was the one who baptized who? Our king, Yahushua. So according to this minister, right, before John the Baptist came, it was be, what was being followed by the people with the law of Moses. But when John came, it's no longer the law of Moses. And he even said, that is 
written. No one can use magic to make it go away. And so according to Luke, we should no longer observe the Sabbath because what is being preached is the good news about the kingdom of God. Moses and the Ten Commandments no longer should be preached. Okay, so that's what it says from his sermon. So let's go ahead and take a look at the actual passage. So I went to the English uh, minister, and they used uh, a certain translation called God's Word Translation. So they used it, so that's what I'm going to use. And this is what it says in Luke 16, 16. I'm simply going to use what they use in their preaching. Luke 16, 16, Moses' teaching and the prophets were in force until the time of John. Since that time, people have been telling the good news about the kingdom of God. And everyone is trying to force their way into it. And so according to their explanation of Luke 16, 16, after John the Baptist, what should be preached is the good news about the kingdom of God, no longer the law of Moses. Uh, and so when we say the law of Moses, we are referring to the Ten Commandments because his whole basis and why he even cited this is to have a basis for telling us that the observance of Sabbath is no longer valid, okay? And so he's saying that when John the Baptist came, we should preach the good news about the kingdom of God. And to preach the kingdom of God means that we should no longer preach the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses. And so that's his explanation. Now, of course, I'm not going to speak negatively about him because I used to be the same way. When I was still in Iglesia in Cristo, I'm no longer in Iglesia in Cristo, okay? When I was in INC before, this was the first thing I did. When people asked about the Ten Commandments, automatically, because this is what we were taught, automatically, I go to Luke 16, 16. So I go to Luke 16, 16, and I read exactly this passage. And then I make the conclusion, when John the Baptist began to preach, the Ten Commandments no longer apply to us. What applies to us is the good news, the gospel. So we preach the gospel, not the Ten Commandments. And so the Sabbath no longer apply to us. I was the same way. I used to think like that. And so I use Luke 16, 16. That's why he even says it is written. You cannot use magic, right, to get rid of it. Well, we're not going to use magic. But we're going to do some abracadabra to make the wrong understanding go away, okay? Not to make what is written go away. We cannot make what is written go away. We're going to make the wrong understanding go away. What is the wrong understanding about this passage? The wrong understanding is... When you read Luke 16, 16, it means that the law of Moses no longer apply, that the law of Moses is void, right? That's the wrong understanding. We're going to make it go away. Not using magic, but, you know, I've always wanted to use abracadabra. Is that okay? <laughs> Just for fun. One, two, three, abracadabra, bam. What do you get? Verse 17, <laughs> right? I wish you would have read verse 17. When I was reading this passage to people asking about the Ten Commandments, I would always read Luke 16, 16, but I never read verse 17. Read the following verse. What does the following verse say? Does Yahusha our king say that the, ten, the, the law of Moses is void? Is that what he's saying? 
I don't think so. Look at verse 17. It is easier for the earth and the heavens to disappear than to drop a comma from Moses' teachings. Is that clear? According to our King Yahushua, when John the Baptist came, does it mean we are to abandon the law of Moses? No. He even said it is easier for the earth and the heavens to disappear than for even the smallest detail, the comma from Moses' teachings. And so that is in contradiction to what the minister said, right? What did the minister say again? The minister said in the red, the red font, when John came, it is no longer the law of Moses, right? We don't follow the law of Moses anymore. That's what he said, okay? But what our king said, you should not drop even a comma from Moses' teachings. What do you have there? A contradiction, right? And so I would rather side with King Yahushua than with those who say that the law of Moses no longer apply after John the Baptist. And if this minister will insist that the law of Moses, especially the Sabbath, no longer apply, then how can he explain where King Yahushua said in Matthew 5, 17 to 19? Yahushua says, don't ever think I came to set aside Moses' teachings or the prophets. In fact, even a period or a comma should not disappear from Moses' teachings. Even the commandments, which you think are unimportant, right, should not be preached away and regarded as void. Every command of the Ten Commandments, including what? Observing what? Sabbath, that should be kept because the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Abba are the master commandments Yahusha never once violated the Ten Commandments. He preached the Ten Commandments. He even summarized it. Love Yahuwah Abba with all of your heart and love your fellow man as you love yourself. He even summarized it for us because it's important to keep the commandments of Yahuwah Allahim, including the Sabbath. And so how, are, how is he going to explain away Matthew 5, 17 to 19? Probably not, right? And so let's go back to Luke 16, 16 to 17. Why do people come up with this interpretation and explanation that after John the Baptist came, there's no longer a need for us to preach Moses or to preach the Ten Commandments? Where did this come from? Well, let's look at Luke 16, 16 to 17. Moses' teachings and prophets were in force until the time of John. You notice the part that I highlighted in yellow, right? You notice the brackets where it says in force. Do you know why I highlighted yellow with yellow? That phrase were in force. You know why? Because it's missing in the original manuscripts. It's not found. It's only added by the translators. But in the Greek, it's missing. That's why if you go to our favorite website, what is our favorite website again? Blue Letter Bible, right? If you go to our Blue Letter Bible, when you go there, this is uh, the passage, Luke 16, 16. The, the law and the prophets were until John. The Hebrew word corresponding to were, and especially in force, that's not there. It's not to be found. It was simply supplied by the translator. This is why when you read Luke 16, 16 to 17, it should read Moses' teachings and the prophets until 
the time of John. Since that time, people have been telling the good news about the kingdom of God. It does not say Moses and the prophets were in force until the time of John. It doesn't say Moses' teachings and prophets were preached or in effect until time of John. No, it just simply says Moses' teachings and the prophets until the time of John. Well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, how can we find out what that means? Well, it's a good thing the gospel was written from different perspectives, right? Luke was the writer of the book of uh, the gospel according to Luke. Let's now look at Matthew, his version of the gospel, a different perspective. What did he say? Matthew 11, 12 to 13, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men take me up and forceful men lay hold of it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And so when it says that the Moses, the law of Moses and the prophets were uh, uh, not were, but until John, right? There's no added word were, but the laws of Moses and the prophets until John, right? Since then, What's being preached is the good news about the gospel. What does that mean? In verse 13 of Matthew, it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, what does that mean? They prophesied until John. In Matthew 11, 12 to 13, in another translation, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, take note, all the prophets... And the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And so what we have here is during the times of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament people, who are the Old Testament people? Moses, Joshua, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, right? They all belong to the Old Testament. When you were living during the times of the Old Testament, guess what? There is this hope that people have. What is that hope? There's going to be a kingdom of God that's going to come, right? But this, and this kingdom of God is promised. It's not yet there. It's promised. And because it's promised, it was prophesied. So before John the Baptist came, the people during the days of the prophets, during the days of Moses, they looked forward to the coming of the kingdom. This is why before John the Baptist the kingdom of God is still a promise that is prophesied. You get it? Before John the Baptist came, the coming kingdom of God is still but a promise that is being prophesied. When was the kingdom of God announced? Even back during the days of Moses, during the Torah, it was mentioned this kingdom of God that will be upon all the earth, even in Mount Sinai. It was promised to Moses that Israel will be the kingdom for the whole world. And so the kingdom of God was announced way back during the time of Moses. It was prophesied by the prophets. For example, in Daniel chapter 2, 35-44, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like shaft on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. 
It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. You know what we read to you was Daniel's interpretation of a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Who was King Nebuchadnezzar? What king did he rule over? What kingdom did he rule over? Babylon, right? And so he was the king and he had a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar's magicians could not interpret that dream for him. But Daniel was able to do it because Yahuwah revealed it to him. In fact, the dream really came from Yahuwah and has a message. In this dream, Nebuchadnezzar dreamt of a statue, right? And the statue had, was made of gold, silver, bronze, clay, and iron. And at the bottom, it was a mixture of iron and clay. It corresponds to different kingdoms. And so it begins with the kingdom of Babylon. It will be overthrown. It will, and it will, be, it will be succeeded by the Medes and the Persians. And then by the Greeks, and then by the Romans, and then another kingdom, and many kingdoms throughout the world. And so this statue that was seen in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar represented a succession of kingdoms. But in that dream, the statue was destroyed by a rock. A rock smashed into it, and it caused it to break into pieces, and it was no more. It was no more. And then the rock, what happened to the rock? It became a huge mountain. You see that? And this rock that became a huge mountain filled the whole earth. What did that represent? God's kingdom. And who would be responsible to usher in this kingdom of God? That rock. Who is that rock symbolizing? Our king? Yahushua. And so when this rock comes, it starts as a small rock, but it becomes a huge mountain small rock the beginning of the kingdom big mountain eventually the whole earth that's the millennial kingdom either way it's the kingdom that belongs to yahuwah that he will set up upon the earth that's the kingdom of god that was announced to moses it was prophesied by the prophets and the people in the old testament times they looked forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So before John the Baptist came, the kingdom of God is just the promise that is being what? Prophesied. This is why the law and the prophets prophesied until when? John the Baptist. Because when John the Baptist came, guess what? It was no longer being prophesied. After John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is already here. And it is being fulfilled. This is why after John the Baptist came, it doesn't mean you get rid of Moses and the prophets because in the fulfillment of the kingdom, we find that it's being fulfilled according to the law and the prophets. This is why the law and the prophets do not stop at John the Baptist. It continues because at John the Baptist, when Yahusha came, it was the beginning already of the kingdom. This is why it's wrong to make the conclusion that when Yahushua was here, when John the Baptist began to preach about him, it doesn't mean to remove the law of Moses. No, the law of Moses is ongoing. This is why we read this Moses's teachings and the prophets until the time of John. All of that is being prophesied. It's just a prophecy. But when John came, it's already here. 
That's why what is being preached? The good news about the kingdom of God. And so what is the good news about the kingdom of God? How can one belong to this kingdom of God that will take place in the millennium, right? How? Let's read the book of Luke 12, 29 to 32. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you what? The kingdom. And so how, what is this good news about the kingdom? The good news is that you can receive it. It will be given to you. Not only will you be a part of it, right? The Bible says it will be given to you. You will be given the kingdom if you are among those who belong to what? What does it say? Little. The flock. Who's the flock? What's the flock? That's the people who follow who? Yahusha. So those who belong to Yahusha, they are indeed blessed. That's why King Yahusha says, don't worry about what's happening right now. Be concerned about the coming kingdom. Because that physical kingdom, the kingdom of Yahuwah, the kingdom of God, is going to come. But before that can come, you need to first belong to the spiritual kingdom. Remember what we said before? Before physical restoration, there's what? Spiritual restoration. What is that spiritual restoration? Belonging to Yahushua, following the Ten Commandments, following the teachings of the law. We need to follow that. That's spiritual restoration. The flock is going to do that. This is why the Bible says, Yahuwah God, our Father, is pleased to give you the kingdom. What does it mean that we will be given the kingdom? What does that mean? Give you the kingdom? How can that be? I mean, the kingdom is the kingdom, right? God's kingdom on earth. How can we be given the kingdom? Let's read Revelation uh, 1, 5 to 6. And from Yahushua Christ, uh, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and he has made us kings. And priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What does it mean that the kingdom will be given to us? We will become kings and priests to his God and Father. In other words, we're going to have a role in the millennial kingdom. What will be our role? To be like a king, to be like a ruler, to be like a priest, right? And what shall we rule over? What shall we be kings and priests over? In Revelation 2, 26, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with, a, with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. And so during the millennial kingdom, there's going to be people who will rule together with our king. Who's our king? Yahusha. Yahusha has a promise for those who are victorious. Do you know who our King Yahushua is speaking to here in Revelation chapter 2? The assemblies. The seven assemblies in the first century. He's speaking to those who are his disciples, his followers. He said, if we are victorious, if we are overcomers, if we overcome, we will rule with him. To them, Yahushua says, I will give authority over all the nations. Because in the millennial kingdom, all the other nations will be subject to the kingdom of Israel. And Yahusha will be the king of kings and lords of lords. And we will rule together with him. How long are we going to rule therefore? 
Let's go ahead and read what it says in Revelation. It's not here. Revelation 20. How long are we going to rule there for? In Revelation 20. I think you already know the answer. How many years? 1,000 years, right? Read Revelation chapter 20. Those who belong to Yahusha, they're going to rule with him for 1,000 years. Now, think about that. If we're going to rule, how is that going to look like? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who are we going to rule over? If you're going to rule, we're going to rule over who? Right? Who are we going to rule over? The people during the millennial kingdom. We will serve as priests. We will serve as kings. And what will be called, what will this kingdom be called? It is the kingdom of who? Kingdom of God. And so here's my question. When the Bible says that since John the Baptist, people are telling the good news about the kingdom of God. Does it mean we are no longer going to follow the law of Moses? Is that what it means? No. It means we are going to enforce the kingdom of God. You see, when we preach about the kingdom of God, it means the kingdom of God will rule over the earth right now. What is ruling over the earth? What's ruling over the earth right now? Russia, United States, China, right? Different countries have their own kingdoms. Every kingdom, every nation, they have their own laws, right? And so every kingdom, they have their own set of laws. They have their own set of rules. But one day, all of those nations will be subject to one ruler, the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is going to be placed upon the earth, what laws are going to be enforced? The law of Russia, the law of the United States, what law? The law of God, which includes the law of Moses. And who's going to enforce this law? You know how you have the executive, the executive department, the judicial department, and you have the uh, legislative department. Legislation comes from who? Yahuwah, judicial, will be parts of that. The Bible says we're going to even judge angels. I don't know how that's going to work, but that's what it says. We're going to act as kings, right? We're going to act as priests over the earth, and we're going to enforce what? The law of God. We're going to be the enforcers, kings and priests of God and Christ. Well, what are we going to enforce? It turns out, it tells us in some detail what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. If you go to Ezekiel, we're not going to obviously read Ezekiel today, but if you study Ezekiel 40 to 48, it tells us like what laws are going to be enforced in the kingdom of God. Remember, the minister said that when what we, what we need to preach today, since it's already after John the Baptist, is the kingdom of God. Well, if you preach the kingdom of God, guess what? What, are you, what do you need to include there? The law of Moses. What's the proof? Ezekiel. 40 to 48. I want him to read Ezekiel 40 to 48 because it tells us what's going to be enforced in the millennial kingdom. What is it? Well, first of all, there's going to be a new temple. That's why the temple being constructed today, that's not going to be the, the temple of the millennial kingdom. Okay. Why? Because the temple is described in detail in Ezekiel 40 to 48. And if we compare this temple in Ezekiel with the other temples, like during the time of Herod, the second temple, and the time of Solomon, the first temple, look at the, the difference. You see Herod's temple, the one in blue, and Solomon's temple, the one in purple. 
and you can compare to the size of a, a foot, football field. Now, when you look at the, the third temple, okay, Ezekiel's temple, the one found in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, look at that. Very massive, very different, right? In splendor, majesty, it's going to be different. The Shekinah glory of Yahuwah Abba is going to be felt throughout the world, especially there in the temple. And so this is how it looks like. And it's glorious indeed. That's, what we're, that's going to be the, the, uh, the, main, the basis of our main operations. That'll be like central headquarters right there in Ezekiel, uh, 40, in, in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, right? Well, what is going to be enforced? What is going to be enforced? Ezekiel 46, 1 to 3. This is what the sovereign Yahuwah says. The gate of the inner court facing east is to be shut on the six working days. But on the Sabbath day and on the day of the new moon, it is to be opened. On the Sabbaths and the new moons, the people of the land are to worship in the presence of Yahuwah at the entrance to that gateway. And so what is being enforced here? The Sabbath. Six days, working days. But on the seventh, the Sabbath, it is a day of worship. You see that? <laughs> and so what is being enforced, again, is the law of God. Why? It's the kingdom of God who is going to enforce that. God, through his king, Yahusha, together with his co-rulers, those who belong to the flock. That's what it means when it says Yahuwah will give them the kingdom. Yahuwah is going to give them co-rulership of the kingdom. This is why blessed are those who are overcomers in Yahushua, because we will rule together with our king. And in the millennial kingdom, not just Israel, but everyone will worship. All flesh will come to worship me on a Sabbath. Again, there is no removal of the Sabbath, but a continuity of Sabbath. It's going to be fully restored, especially in the millennial. This is why when you look at Luke 16, 16 to 17, when it says since that time, people have been telling the good news about the kingdom of God. What does that mean? When you preach about the kingdom of God, you don't abolish the law of Moses. No, you establish the law of Moses, right? This is why it's wrong to use Luke 16, 16 to 17 uh, to teach against the law of Moses when verse 17 tells us not even a comma should drop from the teaching of Moses, okay? All right, that is our lesson for uh, today. If you have any more questions, please submit them to info at assemblyofyahusha.org. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, yes. gracious Yahuwah Alahim, yes. thank you so much for blessing your people yes. with the answers that we seek. Amen. Certainly, we have been pressed with questions in our mind, yes. perhaps even long ago. When we ponder upon our future, when we look into your prophecy, when we hold on to your promises, yes. we have been beset with many questions. Every day we know more and more about your plan. Yes, we know that you are causing all things to unfold yes. according to your purpose, according to your prophecies. Amen. Father, may we be a part of your work of restoration. Yes. Teach us, O loving Abba, to know more about you, to know more about your commands, yes. and help us, loving Abba, that we will be worthy to be with you, to do your work, especially now in preparation for your kingdom. Amen. Yahusha, our king, please yes. be merciful upon all of us. 
because certainly we are not worthy. But you did give a promise to those who belong to your flock. Loving Mashiach, please help us that we may receive your spirit because it is your spirit that empowers and enables us to follow the laws of Abba. Please help us to be strong and courageous in the face of persecution. Help us to stand strong that we may overcome all the many perils of life and remain upholding your teachings at all times. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people throughout the world. Those who cry out to you and use your name, manifest your healing, O loving Abba, and give us the strength we need to become overcomers of everything, that when you send your son, we will be able to stand by his son. Thank you for listening to all of our prayers. We ask and beg everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.